Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. I'm very honored to be here. I'm so honored to be here. You guys have no idea. Tim and Robin have been close friends of ours for a very long time. Tim and Robin helped walk my husband, Rich, and I through our dating process. Um, They were basically just there to be like, don't make out too much, okay? And then we'd be like, okay, we'll try not to. And they, they didn't, you know, they're just trying to keep us holy. And then they stood next to us in our wedding. And then Robin, as if we couldn't get any closer, I invited her to come watch my first child be born. And she was there when my first child, you guys are like, oh, you're a lot closer than I thought. I I didn't invite Tim to that, though. I just thought he wanted to sit that one out. I don't know. I knew if I invited Tim to the childbirth, he'd want to take over and be like, this is how it should go. And so I was like, no, he needs to sit out. Not inviting Pastor Tim to that. Um, And then I think my three-and-a-half-year-old was about, oh, just a couple months old. And I went to Robin's house late at night. I don't remember why it was so late, but it was like 11 p.m. I just remember it was late. And we sat on the couch, and she told me in tears in her eyes, I have a vision of San Francisco, and I think we're going to move, and I think we're going to start a church. And, like, this is the craziest thing, and I don't know why we're going to do this, but God's put something on my heart. My heart's breaking for that city, and I'm going to go. And then they invite me to come speak to you guys. And I just remember it was just a word in a seed on a couch. And now here you are in the family that wouldn't have happened if that wouldn't have happened. So I'm just so honored. And just so you know, you do have the best pastors. You have the best pastors. These people are legit. I talk to them. And if, if my message sucks, come back next week because I won't be here. And you'll get to hear from them, which will be even better. But... If you've been searching for a church and this is your first time or you're like, I'm not really sure, I just want you to know that they're here. You don't have to look any further. So good job. It was a one-stop shop for you. You found the best church. This is it in this city. So they really are amazing. Known them a long time. They're legit and their heart breaks for this city in, in a good way. Not like, oh, I hate this city. But it's like a happy, you know, that kind of thing. And they love you guys so much, and we talk every single day, and I feel like I already know you because of the words that they say and then their hearts that are breaking for you. So you're lucky to be here, and I am honored to speak to you guys this morning. Um, I want to talk to you this morning about saying yes. Saying yes. Or if you wanted to, you could call it, I still do. Does anybody remember that marriage conference? Anybody grow up in a Christian home? There was a marriage conference. Yeah, I see you, girl. Thank you. There was a marriage conference that my parents went to in the 90s when they were married about 10 years, and they came home with this plaque. And the marriage conference was called I Still Do. And they came with a plaque, and I remember that they made me and my siblings sit down, and we had to watch them sign this plaque that they still do, that their vows were still real, that they still loved each other. And I was like nine, and I'm like, I don't understand. Like, I, yeah, okay, congratulations, you guys. Can I go watch TV now? And they're like, no, you need to watch this. We still love each other. And now that we've been married almost eight years, I kind of get it. Like, that's a big deal when you still love each other that long. But the conference is called I Still Do. So I want to talk to you about saying yes or I still do. I want to talk to you about saying yes to God when you've seen too much. Saying yes to God when you haven't seen him do what you wanted him to do in your life. Saying yes to God when you expected something and you haven't seen that thing come to pass. And you still do. You still say yes. Before we go any further, I want to show you a picture of our family. It's going to pop up here on the screen. This is our family. Um, We have three girls. 
So our youngest on my lap, this is a year old, so they're a lot older now and a lot more mobile. But the youngest on my lap is Millie, Millie Taylor, and she has the stomach flu right now. And that has just been a total joy to be a part of. Yeah, my little one-and-a-half-year-old, she keeps throwing up. And every time she throws up, she says, no, and looks up at me, no. I'm like, I know. Oh, so lift up prayers for Millie. And then Haven, what's her middle name? Anne. Haven Anne. <laughs> middle child syndrome is so real. It's so sad. I'm like, and that's my middle name. We have the same middle name. And I blanked for a second. Haven Anne, she is... Just pray for us because Haven, we just need a lot of prayer. And then Jane is at the top on Rich's lap, and Jane is our oldest. She's almost six now. She'll be six in January. When Jane was three days old, she was born healthy. Robin was there. She can attest. <laughs> she could tell you a lot of details. Just kidding. Don't ask. But Jane was born healthy. And then three days old, Jane's blood sugar crashed for a reason that we still don't know about. And it caused seizures, and then the seizures were left untreated. And about seven months old, Jane, the seizures came back with a vengeance, and she lost her sight, and she lost cognitive function, and she lost mobility. So Jane is, well, the picture is gone, but she is blind, she's immobile, she can't speak, um, and she's cognitively delayed. So we've spent the last six years kind of wondering, oh God, where are you? We grew up in Christian homes, and we did everything right. So it was like, God, how could you let this happen to me? You know, I have planned my wedding on the Pinterest boards and planned my family on the Pinterest boards where I'm like, oh, this is what it's supposed to look like, especially for a good, pure Christian girl. This is what it should look like. And our life looked nothing like that. So we actually found the best neurological care for Jane in Orange County. So we drive a dismal eight hours to her neurological care in Orange County. We go there about once a year. And we went, I guess it was about a year ago now. It's been a year now since we went uh, to one of her appointments. Her appointments are one hour long. We drive eight hours for a one hour appointment because we just can't get the good care up here. So we drive down there for a one hour appointment. It's just Rich and I and Jane and Millie, our youngest. We left the middle one home. The middle one, I forget her name. Um, again. <laughs> You guys can remind me what her name is later. We left her home. We drove Jane down. And honestly, Jane is about five at this point, And I'm thinking, God, let this be different. Like, what are we even doing? We serve the church. We serve the house. We are good Christian people. Why do we have to live this life where our daughter has seizures every day? She can't see. She's in special needs preschool. And we're driving down the state to get care for her. Like, what even is this? So we went to one of her appointments. And it was a one-hour appointment, and it was the same. It was just the same. There was no new news. She was still not healed. There was still no hope for us, really. So we thought, okay, let's just shake this off, and we're going to go to downtown Disney for a really quiet, cheap meal. We'll find it in downtown Disney, I'm sure. So we go to downtown Disney to sit down, and I have Millie, and I think she was, like, breastfeeding at the time, so I'm, like, trying to cover myself, and Jane's there with Rich, and Jane is, or Rich is, like, yeah, let's, like, let loose, and, like, it's almost like he's celebrating or something. I'm, like, what are you celebrating? I'm just cranky, and I'm starting to get a little anxiety, a little panicky, like, there's tons of people around, and I just found out that my daughter's condition is not getting better, and we're probably going to have to keep driving down again and again, and we sit down, and I'm just feeling angsty, and then I get up to leave the table, and I look down when I see the bill, and I'm like, I'm just going to take a walk around with the baby. I look down, and I see the bill, and I see that my sweet husband, Rich, had ordered a drink. 
And apparently he was celebrating something because this drink costs more than my meal. And so I see the cost of the drink and I look at him with my baby on my hip and I, I take this stance and I look down at him and he's looking up at me. And we are not these people who are like, who do you think? Like we are not these people, but I full on, not exaggerate, I said, what makes you think that we can afford a dollar drink on a vacation where we're taking our daughter to the hospital and I have Millie on my hip like ammo, like with the baby, where you're like, it's not just me. She thinks you're stupid too. <laughs> like, see, we're both in this together. What makes you think? And I'm realizing like we're not those people. Like Pastor Tim and Robin are those people. Like you would... You would expect that of them in the middle of Disneyland. But I'm like, oh my gosh, my husband and I, docile, pure people, we are causing a scene. We're causing a scene in the middle of downtown Disney. There's kids everywhere. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you better oh, like explain yourself. Like, what am I even doing right now? And then I get up to leave the table. I told him, I'm going to take a walk. I'm going to take a walk. And that was the best part. When I said, what makes you think? Rich threw his hands up and he goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. And I'm like, oh my gosh, we're yelling at each other right now. Mickey's right here and we are yelling at each other. So I said, I'm going to take a walk. And then I looked down at the table and I realized that they had set colored paper and crayons right in front of my disabled daughter who can't see. And I saw it and the tears just started welling in my eyes. And I went to try to find a quiet place in downtown Disney, God help us. And I did, I found a little bench by a waterfall and Rich eventually caught up with us and I told him, I said, it's not about the drink. It's not about the drink. I said, what kind of doofus brings color paper to a disabled child who can't see? And then I said, but if she didn't bring her coloring paper, what kind of doofus wouldn't bring her coloring paper? Like, how rude. Nobody was winning at this point. I told him, it's not about the drink. I'm tired and frustrated that we're still here. I'm so frustrated that we're still here, that we're literally outside the gates of the happiest place on earth, that that literally and theoretically, we are right outside what it feels like, the gates of happiness, of hope, of joy, and we're just circling and circling. We're pretend, like we're kind of celebrating, but we're not really celebrating. She's sick, and we're not even going in the gates, and why are we still here? And at that very moment, we had a good conversation, and it kind of blew over. At that very moment, my good friend from Vacaville, Pastor Tasha, called me and said, hey Hill, what's up? Would you be interested in speaking at a women's event coming up? And I'm like, oh my gosh, totally. I'm so, I'm so put together right now. I just cussed my husband out in downtown Disney. I love women. Let's speak to them about the Lord. And we do Marco Polo so I can see her. And she was like curling her hair in the mirror. And she's like, hey, like, would you be interested? And I'm like, you have no idea what's going on in my life right now. The interesting thing about that is I had taken a year and a half off of speaking because I had such debilitating anxiety and panic attacks because of the grief in the journey with our daughter and living in hospitals and the sickness. And I had some work I had to do with Jesus. So I hadn't spoke for a year and a half. So broken, frustrated, feeling very stuck, feeling not put together, she asked me to speak to 1,800 women at our church, and I said, yes, yes, I will. The good news this morning is that God does not need your perfection. He does not need you to be put together. 
He doesn't need you to be filled with hope, and he doesn't need you to be filled with joy. He just needs your yes. God can do so much with your yes. He doesn't even really care about your talents or your gifting or how much money you have. All he needs is your yes. A yes takes me, someone riddled with anxiety, and puts me on a stage and delivers a word of God to 1,800 women. A yes brought a stutterer named Moses, and he delivered people out of Egypt. A yes brought two random people from Vacaville, planted them in San Francisco, and now there's hundreds of people who have a home. A yes is all he needs. But the question is, when you feel like you don't have it in you, will you say yes? Yes. John chapter 6, we're going to land there in our text today. It's full of people who are saying, yes, Jesus. This is the middle of Jesus' public ministry in John chapter 6. He is doing the bodacious miracles, the miracles that you've heard about since you were a kid. He is walking on water just to prove that he can, I guess. And then he's multiplying food to feed like upwards of 15,000, 20,000 people. He's doing all the miracles. So people are like, Jesus, Where are you going? We say yes to you. We want what you have. It says that he's so popular that he has to escape them because they are going to make him their king by force. They're going to force him to be their king. And he has to escape because Jesus was cool like that. He's like, no, I'm not trying to be like that. I'm not trying. He slips away. So they're searching after Jesus. They're giving him all they have. Do you guys remember when you first gave Jesus all you had? When it was like, God, I will give you everything. You are the king. You are filling me with joy. You've given me freedom. I want to give you everything. For me, that I was 13. I went to youth camp, and God filled me with the Holy Spirit, and I was like, whoa. I came home. I told my mom, I want to be homeschooled. I don't want to go to public school anymore. I'm too, I'm too holy for that. I want to be homeschooled so I can serve the church. That's what I told her at 13. And I'm like, I'm a, this is, if you weren't a Christian as a kid in the Early 2000s, I'm going to paint a very clear picture for you. You come home from youth camp and then you burn all your secular CDs. You're like, I'm going to, you try to break it and you're like, it's so hard to break. (laughs) They bend. I can't break it. So I was like, I'm not going to listen to um, Nickelback anymore. I'm not going to listen to Brandy. No, I didn't break Brandy. I kept that CD because it's so good. The Boy is Mine. Are you kidding me? That's a good album. I love that album. Didn't break that one. But I was like, no, I'm going to give it all to Jesus. And then I was like, I'm going to give him my purity. I'm not going to date. I'm just going to date Jesus (laughs) until I get married. And so I would sing this song as I fell asleep at night. And you guys are going to lose all respect for me after this. But I'm going to tell you anyway. It was by a little girl named Rebecca St. James. I don't know if, yeah. So here we go. And she wrote this song called Waiting for you. And it was a song written to her future husband that she does not know yet. And I would sing it to my future husband at 13. I do not know who this man is. It was you, babe. Congratulations. <laughs> so at nighttime, I would sing it to myself. I would sing this song. And I know you don't know the song. That's okay. You're going to learn it right now. It went like this. I am waiting for, praying for you, darling. Wait for me to wait for me as I wait for you. And I would have my Walkman on and I would sing it to myself as I fell asleep. And my mom came in my room one night and was like, honey, are you singing? And I'm like, no, (laughs) no. So I was pure, but I was also a pathological liar. So that was me giving Jesus my all. And that's where these people are. They're like, God, we've seen what you can do and we want to give you everything. So they find Jesus and they tell him, they're so excited in verse 28. They say, God, what should we do 
if we want to do God's work. Like we've seen what you're doing. What do we do if we want to be a part of that? And Jesus answered, the work you can do starts with believing in the one he has sent. That's what you can do. Just believe in me. And they're like, okay, that doesn't sound like romantical enough. Like we need like, we need a juicier answer. Like we want, we want more. So they say, okay, okay, well show us a miracle so we can see it and then we'll believe in you. As if walking on water and multiplying thousands of pieces of fish wasn't enough. Moses, Moses took care of our ancestors who were fed by the miracle of manna every day in the desert. Just like the scripture says, he fed them with bread from heaven. What sign will you perform for us? Moses, he did that for them. Do you ever feel like that? Where you're like, God, I, see, I believe you. Like, I totally believe you. I've seen what you did for those people. But if you would do it for me, I'd believe you even more. Like, I, I saw that that woman found her husband, and that's great. But I'm still single. And, like, if you could bring a man, I would really believe in you. Like, I would believe in you. If God, if you could bring the finances, if you could promote me, like, I know you're God, but I would really believe in you if you would do a little something extra for me. Hey, if you would just heal my daughter, like, I would serve you so much more than I already am. How many of us live in this place? And Jesus is hearing this response, and he's like, okay, okay, okay. You're saying you want more of me, but I think you're missing what that means. If you really want more of me, this is his response. Verse 48, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors, yeah, they ate the miracle manna in the wilderness, but they died. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? And you're like, yeah, it's cannibalism. It's a heck of hard teaching. Who can accept that? Don't worry, this is not that church. Commentators speculate that they knew exactly what he was saying because there was pagan religions at the time that involved eating a piece of meat in which a god indwelt. And when you ate that piece of meat, the god became one with you. So they're saying, oh, you're disgusting. I don't know what you're talking about. But you say, no, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And what I'm asking you to do is to take all of me. I'm not asking you to just take the good parts of me. I'm asking you to become one with me. If you want more of me, if you want more of my goodness, you have to be willing to take all of me, all of my glory and possibly all of my suffering. You have to be willing to become uncomfortably familiar with the parts of me. If you want the resurrection of Jesus like you're talking about, then you might have to go to a cross with me. You have to eat my bread. You have to drink the blood. You have to indwell all of it. And that's when they say, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? It says, from this point on, many of his disciples turned away and no longer followed him. Well, those poor people, that's what happens with new believers. If they don't have roots in the ground, then they're just not going to follow Jesus. And that we just pray for them. No, no, no. It says many of his disciples 
turned away. Disciples, by definition, is people who sat under the teaching of Jesus. These were not just random people who found their way into church. These were the greeters with the signs. Like, hello, I believe in Jesus. These were group leaders. These were security team members. These were people who were serving, worship team members. Sorry, guys. They were like, yes. And then Jesus said, hey, are you willing to go to uncomfortable places with me? Are you willing to have all of me even when I don't give you what you expected it to look like? Whoa, whoa. They turned away and they never came back. And then Jesus asked this question to his remaining 12. He looks over at them and he says, do you also want to go? Do you want to go too? And this isn't sassy Jesus. Like, so you're going to leave too? Fine, whatever. I don't even care. I don't need you. I'm God. Who cares? That's not what Jesus was saying. It was a fatherly tone. And he looks at the remaining 12 and he says, do you want to go? As if to say, you know that a cross might be coming. You know that we might be walking to uncomfortable places together. This is your opportunity to get out of that. I want to take you places, but it might get a little awkward for you. Would you like to come with me or do you want to stay here? And then Peter replies. Peter replies, the best reply in all the Bible. Verse 68, he says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you alone are the Holy One of God. Where else shall we go? Guys, I will admit to you, I have been here so many times. When I'm doing laundry after laundry because my daughter has vomited over herself, when she's seizing, when there's tears, when we're grieving over and over again because other kids are getting older and she's staying the same. And I'm literally weeping over my washer and dryer going, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave. I'm going to do it. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go, I'm going to go, I guess I'm going to shop a lot. Oh, yeah, I'm going to online shop, and I'll show you. And then I'm going to go do hecka yoga, and I'm just going to stretch till the sun don't shine. I'm just going to be, like, stretching, and I'm just going to do yoga, and I'm going to, I'll kneel to Buddha and be like, what's up, Buddha? Like, really? And then, you know, I think to myself, what? Really? Where else can I go? Where else can I go? You alone have the words of eternal life. He alone has the hope. He alone has the joy. He alone has the capacity for miracles. He alone has the thing that can turn in you something new. He alone has everything I need. He alone has my energy. He alone has the stamina that I need. Where else can I go? Even when it looks dismal, even when it looks bleak, he has the hope. He has the way out. He has the open door. He has the resurrection. He has the new life. He has the miracle for me. Where else can I go? I'm not going to find it in yoga. I'm not going to find it in Buddha. He did not raise from the dead. Jesus rose from the dead. Where else can I go? Where else can I go? And that, my friends, that time when you say, where else can I go, is when you cross the line from condition to covenant. Condition says, I'll do it on my terms, and when I don't like it, we done. A covenant says for better or worse, for sicker, for poor, for whatever. All the, all the covenants. A covenant says that. And a covenant has something that condition will never have. A covenant has intimacy. 
And intimacy is reserved for the people who choose to remain. Intimacy is reserved for those who stay. Intimacy is reserved for those who say, I don't like what I'm seeing, but yes, I am in this with you forever. The ones who stayed, the 12 who stayed, they got to see the hands of the crucified Messiah come and wash their dirty man feet. The ones who stayed got to take the cup of suffering from his hands that rose represented in the cup of wine and they drank from it, reclined at a table with Jesus. The ones who stayed lingered in the upper room and were filled with the fire and the wind of the Holy Spirit as it rushed over them. There are special things reserved for people who say, I will keep walking through this with you. But so many people don't get the more of God, the miracles of God, the extra of God because they don't keep going, because they get trapped, because they don't remain, because they don't keep walking forward, because it gets uncomfortable. And you know what happens? They get trapped in what I believe is disappointment and unmet expectations. They get trapped. Earlier, Jesus says, he says that you got to eat my flesh, drink my blood. And he hears them grumbling. And he says, hey, I hear you murmuring. What I'm saying, does it offend you? Does this offend you? And that word offend means to trip up or trap. So some people, he's saying, are you literally getting trapped in this offense right now and you can't move forward? Are you getting locked up in disappointment and you can't get what I'm offering you? You know, so I told you guys, I think it was about two years ago now, I started experiencing really bad anxiety and panic. It got out of hand where I thought I need to see some help and not just from Jesus, I need to see like a professional. So lucky for me, I have a friend who is a counselor and a friend and a wise woman and I went to her and she said, Hillary, I suspect that maybe you're dealing with some disappointment. Are you disappointed? And I'm like, I don't think so. Like I look at my life from the outside, I'm like, I'm blessed. I have so much. I've got a great church, a great family. I don't think I'm disappointed. Let me really think about it. Yes, I am disappointed. You were right. And I cried for one and a half hours straight. One and a half hours straight. Yeah, you could say there was some pent-up emotion there because I was so disappointed. And she said, yeah, I had a feeling that was the case. <laughs> just calmly as I'm just weeping. I, I think you're right. She's like, yeah, I had. I suspected so. She said, go home. I want you to make a list about all the things you're disappointed by. So I did. And I came back to her the next week and I read it off to her and I was all proud. Like, I did my homework. Did I do the right thing? She said, that's a great list. Now, on that list, do you have God written down? I'm like, what do you mean? Like, did you tell God that he disappointed you? It's like, are you allowed to do that? <laughs> are you allowed to tell God that he's a disappointment to you? I feel like that's very wrong. She said, Hillary, do you think that if you're disappointed in God, he doesn't already know about it? Like, <laughs> that is such a good point. That's why they call you pastor, because that is such a good point. God already knows about it. I said, yeah, I, I am disappointed in God. I said, would you mind if I actually left early this session? I need to go park somewhere private and cry on my steering wheel and tell God how much he disappointed me. And that's what I did. I found a secluded spot in Vacaville and I parked my car and I banged on my steering wheel and said, God, I am disappointed. I thought you were my friend. I thought 
that after giving my life to you, things would have turned out different. I'm so tired of seeing people my age living their life, having freedom. I'm stuck at home as a permanent caregiver to my daughter who didn't do anything to deserve this. I'm disappointed. Like, I thought we were supposed to walk through this together. Where's my blessing? Where's my, and I just railed on him for like 30 minutes, just disappointed. And the tears kept coming and the tears kept coming. And that was two years ago. And you know what happened after that? Not a whole lot. (laughs) I wish I could tell you. I went home and my daughter was walking. She didn't get healed. Our physical situation didn't change. Everything in the natural looked exactly the same. But something happened inside of me that day. My honesty about the unmet expectations unlocked that trap of disappointment. And I began to move forward with Jesus. And it was no longer, God, what can you give me? But it was, God, what can you do through me, through this situation? Earlier in John 6, all the followers come to Jesus. And Jesus tells them something very interesting. He says, let me make this clear to you. You're not following me because you want me and you believe me. You're following me because you want the food that I just multiplied. You're here for the food. Let it never be said of the Father's house that we came for the food. Let it be said of the Father's house that we are here for the life. We're here for the life inside of us, the thing that God wants to do in us, the things that we cannot see, the things that are eternal, the things that we can't grasp in the physical. It's not just about the bread that he can give us. It's about what he wants to do through us for our families and for our health and for our communities and for our city and for our region. God, what do you want to do do through me? What do you want to do through me? I say yes to it. I say yes to it. I remember being a little girl and being left at school with my friend. And my mom thought it was her pickup day. And then the friend's mom thought it was her pickup day. And they both didn't come. And we were left for a very long time. And I went to a little tiny school up at Lake Berryessa in the middle of the wilderness. And so our, what a, what's it called? The mascot was a cougar. And that was real because when you're the last kids left at school, you have to look out for cougars because you're like, they could get you because you're in the middle of Lake Berryessa. This is a real story, guys. And so we're left there, I'm probably eight or nine, and we're sitting against the wall and all the kids have left and we're like, where's your mom? I don't know, where's your mom? And I'm sitting against that wall and I remember the cougars painted behind us and our principal was named Mr. Bolden. Mr. Bolden, are you here? No, okay, every time I say this, I'm like, maybe I'll run into him one day. He ain't here. But he was this really tall guy with broad shoulders, very intimidating. I don't know if I ever spoke a word to him the whole time I was at the elementary school. And I was there till fifth grade. And he had dark black hair and he would walk in a room. He was like six feet, something tall. And I remember I just always saw him as this really intimidating guy who I didn't want to speak to and I was just really, and me and my friend are left, little eight-year-olds against this wall. The, the place is peaceful, silent. There is nobody left. And he turns the corner, walk in, and he turns the corner and he sees us and he, and he startled. And I had never seen him startle before. And that's what shocked me the most. I'm like, whoa, he just got scared of me. I'm scared for my mom's not here, but he's scared of me. This is crazy situation. He startles and he says these words, he goes, you're still here. You're still here. And I think that the enemy this morning is going to be walking around knowing what he's brought into your life, 
knowing what God has allowed to happen, knowing what sickness you're going through, knowing what money you haven't made, knowing what house you haven't received yet, knowing that you're single, you feel alone, you have anxiety, and the enemy knows this, and he's walking with his shoulders back, and he's gonna turn the corner at the Father's house this morning and go, you're still here, you're still here. I thought I, thought I was gonna take you out with that disappointment. I thought I was gonna take you out with that unmet expectation. I thought that you would have been ruined by now. I thought you would have turned your back by now. I thought you felt too sick. I thought you felt too used. I thought you felt too broken. I thought you felt that you were disqualified, but you're still here. What are you still doing here? It doesn't make any sense. Why are you still here? Sometimes I look at my husband and I, and not to boast of ourselves, and I think, we're invited to preach and lead worship. What are we even doing here? Like we do laundry 12 times a day. Our kid is up in the night puking with seizures. We travel eight hours to a neurologist. This does not coincide with our life, but guess what? We're still here. We're still here. And when you decide to walk with Jesus through whatever, you can tell him I'm still here and he can then make something beautiful out of your life. Because with Jesus, church, it's not just about what He can take from you and what He can bury in the ground. There is always a resurrection with Jesus. There is always something on the other side of your yes with Jesus. So when you give it to Him and when it feels like it's dead and when it feels like it's broken, He says, now I can turn that water into wine. Now I can take that dead body and I can raise it from the ground. He is all about a resurrection. He is all about a new thing. This is not the end for you. He says there will be even a new heaven and a new earth. He never sees death as the end. Death is never the end. Your brokenness is never the end. Your sickness is never the end. Even if it ends in the natural, it is never the end with Jesus. There is always a new life, but we have to be a church that says, yes, I'm still here. I will keep walking with you. I remain, no plan B. Where else can I go? Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we want to pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.